0: Hey, it's Anita and this is Bitcoin and Co. Hello dear listener, here I am back again, another week, another episode of the Bitcoin & Co. podcast. It's episode 82 and my guest today is Gloria Sau. She's a Bitcoin Core developer, former president of blockchain at Berkeley, and she will finish her computer science studies at the end of this year. We will discuss how blockchain and Bitcoin are seen by her fellow college students why she chose to work on Bitcoin only, and why and how she became a Bitcoin Core developer instead of going into all of the other Silicon Valley stuff and blockchain things that are around. Gloria was introduced to me by Amiti Utava, who is also a Bitcoin Core developer. I have done an interview with her some months ago. It's episode number 62, if you're interested. That's anita.link forward slash 62. If you have a question, send me an email to hello at anitaposh.com or you can visit anita.link forward slash 82, where you will find an audio recorder to send me a message and you will also find the show notes for this episode there. And now a word from my sponsors and then enjoy the conversation. Shift Crypto and the Bitbox O2 Hardware Wallet. I did an interview with the inventor of the Bitbox and co-founder of Shift Crypto, Douglas Bakum, recently. It's episode number 77. Tune in to hear about his intentions and the core values behind the production of the hardware wallet. To be financially independent, it's important to hold your own keys. Shift cares about making it easy for you to keep your Bitcoin safe. The BitBox is Swiss-made and makes it simple to store and use your coins. I especially like that they have a Bitcoin-only edition too. And I can use the hardware wallet with my phone. Check out the BitBox02 at anita.link forward slash BitBox02. You will get a 10% discount if you use the code ANITA in the checkout. LocalBitcoins is one of the most trusted and the largest peer-to-peer Bitcoin trading platforms in the world. On LocalBitcoins, you can buy and sell your Bitcoin in an easy, fast and secure way, always protected by escrow. LocalBitcoins allows you to trade directly with people like you. And you can choose any currency you prefer and find a safe payment method to complete your trade. Local Bitcoins also offers a web wallet, so you can trade and deposit and send out your Bitcoin all in one account. Go to www.localbitcoins.com to buy and sell Bitcoin. Not your keys, not your coins is one of the basic rules in Bitcoin. Therefore, I definitely recommend using a hardware wallet to store your Bitcoin. But... If you have difficulties with the technical requirements and constant maintenance of hardware wallets, you can use the Card Wallet. The Card Wallet is a very simple and secure solution for long-term storage of Bitcoin and Ethereum. No software updates needed and it leaves no traces on the blockchain, which is good for your privacy. You can give it away as a gift or inheritance. You send Bitcoin to it and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker, founded in 2014. Order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita and get 20% off. And finally, a shout out to the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network, where you can find other Bitcoin-related podcasts like Proof of Love, Bitcoin Audible, POV Crypto and more. Hello, Gloria. Welcome to the show and thanks for doing this interview with me.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm also happy that you're here. We have a common friend, Amiti Uttava. She was also a guest at the Bitcoin and Co. podcast. It was episode 62. Amiti, was so nice to introduce you to me and now we are here doing this interview together.
1: Yeah, Amiti has been great to me.
0: Yeah, she's in general great, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: (laughs) So please introduce yourself to our listeners. What are you doing? Maybe if you want to share that, where are you living? And um, what is your background?
1: Yeah, I'm Gloria. I'm from Silicon Valley, a little city called Cupertino, and that's where I am right now. I go to Berkeley. I'm a senior majoring in computer science, going to graduate soon. Um, And well, I guess... I went to college because I was supposed to, and I studied computer science because I was supposed to. Uh, but I guess, you know, here in Silicon Valley, everyone wants to know computer science because it's like the tools to build the future. But, you know, I didn't really know what kind of future to build until I got into Bitcoin and blockchain, really. Um, so I got into Bitcoin basically by joining blockchain at Berkeley. And I think that got me started in the right direction and opened my eyes to basically these technological solutions that are centered around very social ideological problems like sovereignty, freedom, and privacy. And these values have become a really core part of who I think I am and what I want to spend my life doing. Um, But yeah, like I was mostly doing blockchain, like enterprise blockchain and corporate stuff for a while until the beginning of this year. So like six or seven months ago, when some of the chain coders, including Amidi and Adam Jonas and John Newberry, got me into Bitcoin Core. So I've been contributing for about six to seven months, and it makes me extremely happy. It's, you know, I have found what kind of future I want to live in and how to help contribute to building that.
0: Why were you supposed to study computer science?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm from Silicon Valley. I was born and raised in Cupertino, which is where Apple is. I was, well, actually I was born in Mountain View, which is where Google is, you know, like basically this is uh, tech heaven and there's kind of a very uh, set path of like what defines success. So like when I was in high school, for example, all I was was a walking college application. So I was supposed to fit like perfect grades and perfect test scores and like instruments and languages and like art and like whatever I could stack up my piece of paper with to make myself look like, you know, signal that I'm going to be a successful person or whatever. But also, you know, I think this is common everywhere where people are trying to be high achieving and they have a lot of academic privilege. But in Silicon Valley... Like, in fifth grade, they brought us all into an auditorium and had the speaker, like, tell us, oh, one out of every 10 startups succeeds. And then, like, told us the story about, like, Steve Jobs and Apple and, like, all of the entrepreneurs, right, in Silicon Valley. And in high school, I did all these, like, entrepreneurship, uh, like, competitions where you would create, like, a fake business plan and then present it to judges and they'd like see how technologically interesting and entrepreneurial you were. So like this like startup entrepreneurial culture is really baked into Silicon Valley. And so um, rather than like, Oh, you're asian you need to go be a doctor or whatever it's like oh you need to go learn technology so that you can work in the tech space so that you can create these startups um you know build your own unicorn so the plan is like okay you go to college you study computer science then you do software engineering for like five years or maybe it's product management or whatever it is and then you have until you're like 50 55 years old to join 10 startups so you'll like switch every two to three years and then because one out of every 10 startups like succeeds you're expected to like find your unicorn by the time you retire. And then, you know, if you have extra time, let's say you like hit it on your second try or or your first try, even then, okay, now you can be a VC and help others like succeed and, you know, build this like Silicon Valley entrepreneurship dream. Um, But, you know, like it's, it's mostly uh, signaling and it's, it's not really for me now that I've come this far, but yeah, that was how I grew up. That was the story I was supposed to end up
0: telling. Mm -hmm. Understand. Sounds a little bit like that there's a high social pressure and a little bit also like brainwashing because basically everybody wants to do or achieve the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, we kind of tell the world that what we care about is this idea of innovation. Or impact, social impact, for example. Um, and here's a little anecdote. Right now, it's college application season. Usually, college apps are due in like November, December. Um, so right now, in my hometown, there's hundreds of nonprofits being founded by like 16, 17 year olds. And you're like, oh, that's great. Like, it must be because they really care about the world, and you know, they want to make an impact on it. But it's actually because well, I mean, this is a little cynical, but basically everyone has a college application consultant that says like, okay, well, you have the 4.5 GPA, you have these perfect SAT scores, you play two instruments and two sports, and you speak three languages, and you have all these trophies, but, you know, everyone kind of looks like that. So you need like a social impact piece to like virtual signal that you're also... Uh, a compassionate person. So like everything that we do, like that underlying why is often just to contribute to like a resume or a college application or like, you know, some kind of fiat piece of paper that's supposed to represent who we are. Um, and, and I know I sound very cynical and very mean and judgmental, but, um, it's kind of just like a game that we have to play. And I'm very lucky that I found something that has a clearer why for me. Uh, Bitcoin, obviously. Um, but for a really long time, I was lost. And basically everything that I did in my life was for the purpose of my resume, my piece of paper.
0: Wow. Yeah, that sounds a little bit frustrating and very performance oriented. <laughs> yeah. Can you maybe tell me how old you are, if you want to tell me that Um, you're about 20 years?
1: Yeah, I'm 21 right now.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your fellow college students? How do they see the blockchain space? You've been the president of blockchain at Berkeley and did also educational stuff there about blockchains. How is the general opinion on the students to blockchain and Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think maybe I'll tell the story, my story first. Um, So when I first started learning about Bitcoin, when I first joined blockchain at Berkeley, because we're college students, we study it from a very academic theoretical perspective. So, you know, we're all computer science students, the blockchain fundamentals class that we taught is through the computer science department. So what we talk about is like, oh, this is a distributed state machine with a consensus protocol. Let's talk about like cap theorem and, you know, like finality and all those things. We talk about like cryptographic hash functions before we talk about mining, we like analyzes, we analyze like Bitcoin scripts without like for transactions without ever like sending a transaction. So it's a very like, it's a different way of learning about Bitcoin, I think from most people. Um, but when I signed up to teach the blockchain fundamentals course, we like did a dry run where I was trying to teach like how Bitcoin works, I guess. And I was like just like regurgitating facts that I knew I kind well, like I, I was really terrible at like explaining what Bitcoin was, and I couldn't really tell you the difference between say Venmo and Bitcoin, because everything in the technology stack below kind of just sounds like implementation details, right? Um, but then obviously I didn't get the point at that time. But Max Fang, who was you know, guiding me through this teaching process, he was like, okay, I don't think you know why you're interested in Bitcoin. I don't think, I don't think you're a true cypherpunk. You need to go read the cypherpunk manifesto. You need to read digital gold you need to read some Julian Assange and then your public speaking will be better. Right. And that's kind of different advice from what I'm used to hearing, which is okay, put a pencil between your teeth and like recite it 50 times or, you know, script it all out. Um, But I did that. And I think that really opened my eyes because I mean, I grew up really privileged and, you know, we should be thinking about social issues like sovereignty like privacy and you know berkeley is berkeley students tend to be very socially driven um you know not in the like hippie liberal sense of course that's kind of where we have that reputation as well but you know we talk a lot about um things that are different from just the financial bottom line not just profit right we care about those things and i was like well this piece of technology like fundamentally like has an opinion about how systems should be run right it's You know, a lot of the questions that I couldn't answer in my first dry run of that lecture was like, okay, but is Bitcoin cheaper? Is it faster? Is it easier to use, right? Like those are the kind of metrics that we use to evaluate things theoretically in computer science classes as well as in Silicon Valley. Um, You know, like we even care about like how many clicks does it take to create a transaction, for example. These are like UI questions that we'll often ask in like a software application. Um, And you know, that's not always true in Bitcoin. It's not always faster or cheaper or whatever, Um, but it is, better in social ways, you know, and I think that caused me to just update my bottom line of how I think about technology and how I think about how I want, what I want to contribute to in the world. Um, So that's my story. And that's kind of how I fell in love with, you know, Bitcoin and how I was able to answer that why question for myself for the very first time in my life. Um, But to be honest, I think in college, and this is true for me as well, obviously, like you come to college, your number one priority is usually graduate. Your second priority is usually graduate with a job. Um, and so, well, number three or number four maybe is, okay, I want to go change the world. I want to build the future, all of those things, which are lovely, but, They, you know, kind of take a back seat when you're like, oh, my God, I have midterms next week. Oh, my God, what if I don't get an internship or what if I can't graduate? Right. I think those are, you know, naturally your higher priorities. Um, So. So for Black at Berkeley, I was present for about two years and we have an application round every beginning of the semester. Um, and we've always tried really hard to try to pinpoint what we can do to get more students interested in applying to blockchain at Berkeley. And, you know, we've run all the numbers and like looked at the analytics, like put analytics on our like, website and all our social media platforms and stuff. But the bottom line, by far, the number one metric for how many students apply is extremely tightly correlated with the price of Bitcoin. Um, so in early 2018, when Bitcoin, you know, skyrocketed to $20,000, we had, you know, we were aware that more people would be interested because, you know, the info sessions, like people were lining up outside the door and there was no like sitting room. We had a 2000 word essay on our application and 500 people wrote essays to apply to Black Snap Berkeley. And that was really shocking. but. More so is they all had really compelling reasons for why they were interested in blockchain. You know, like I said, Berkeley students are very socially driven. We all have a laundry list of like things that are wrong with this world. You're like Bitcoin fixes this, right? But, you know, like in general, we were like, oh, there's all these social impact blockchain use cases. What if we can build systems that kind of emulate this model, this trustless model that Bitcoin has and like apply that in in other situations other than money? So you know, this is kind of getting into more of the consulting like area. Yeah, people had really good, c- compelling reasons, but not six months later, like the price plummeted back down to I don't know, like five thousand or even lower. I don't I don't remember. But when that happened, like everyone bailed. Like we just lost like all our members. Um, I had a lot of friends that were like, "Why are you still doing blockchain?" Like. Nobody cares about that anymore. It's all about self-driving cars. Um, and I think I was getting labeled in a way that I didn't really like, because when we say blockchain, we're thinking cypherpunk, we're thinking preserving privacy, um, giving sovereignty back to the individual, right? But what a lot of people see blockchain as now is like this hype thing that's full of scams and ICOs and like shills and all those things. Um, and so crypto winter like hits pretty hard. because, um, you know, students want to get a job after they graduate. They want to secure a future. They don't have like a 10 years worth of experience or expertise in something that allows them to say, hey, I'll be safe, you know I can continue work. There's no such thing as job security if you've never had a job before, right? Um, so I think, all the students, they do believe in many of the same values, but beggars can't be choosers. And so the person who taught me, like ECDSA, now works at Facebook. The person who first introduced me to chain code now works at Google. And it makes me really sad, but, you know, it's, I can understand not feeling safe going into a field that has so much uncertainty.
0: Yeah, that's one thing. And on the other hand, like you say, you need a job. There's a time in life where you need to make money in one or the other way. Crypto Winter then also shows who really believes and who has really understood blockchain and Bitcoin. And I think people who have really understood blockchain tend to go into Bitcoin and say, BTC is actually the only thing that is interesting to me at the moment. I mean, I know there are a lot of very clever people also working on things like tokenization and other kinds of blockchain projects and hopefully something really good comes out of it but i think the most developed blockchain is basically the bitcoin blockchain and it makes the most sense was this kind of thought maybe also a reason for you to choose bitcoin over other blockchain projects
1: yeah it was and i did work with a lot of other blockchain projects um i wouldn't say that they're not worthwhile or they're you know not going in the right direction but ultimately for me that why piece is what drives me like it's why i wake up in the morning because i want to live in a world where i can be a sovereign individual and you know the incentive alignment with these projects weren't exactly what i believed in so for example in silicon valley you start a new blockchain project the first question is always what's the profit model um and a lot of times it'd be a very technically interesting project, of course, but they say, Oh, you know, our profit model is we have a lot of the underlying token, or we run a lot of the validators. So we, you know, receive a lot of the underlying token as well. And this incentivizes us to, you know, work on the underlying protocol. But for me, you know, that I don't really believe in that, right? Because that's a form of centralization. It's a form of trust in that sense. And you know, you could say it's a necessary evil that you have to have a profit model. You have to have a way to earn money, but I'm, you know, like it's just, it's, it like dilutes the why for me. And then the second issue that I have is often the security slash trust model. So a lot of times in Silicon Valley, the narrative is very often, okay, Bitcoin is cool, but it's old and slow and doesn't scale and, you know, is bad for the environment. So we need to raise $50 million so that we can build this better one that's more scalable and is faster and like solves all of those problems. Um, and typically, you know, it's, it's not you don't just say ah it scales. Right typically what they're doing is they're introducing a different trust model so for example like oh we have a foundation run by people who are like in charge of overseeing the research and development of this project um and like or it's like oh we are um we're it's not going to be completely open you know you have to send a a request to the foundation in order to become a node operator, for example. And these are introducing like barriers to access and they're introducing like, okay, this is no longer trustless, right? There is a level of trust required to join. And thus you have lowered the security model to like, in, in my view, kind of a trivial problem. And that's why you're able to do all this scalability stuff because you know you're not making the same trade-off that Bitcoin is. And you know, I'm not saying that there's no room for trust in systems. Like, you know, we're all people, we have communities and you know relationships with people that we trust. Um, And that's what a lot of DeFi and finance tries to model is risk and trust and such. Um, And so it's not that there's no room for that, but for me personally my ideologies align with the security model and the uh, community of
0: of Bitcoin. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, please? I mean, what is so interesting for you in the community aspect?
1: Yeah, well, I've worked on a lot of open source projects, but Bitcoin is, or Bitcoin Core is what I focus on. Um, I don't want to say all of Bitcoin because there are other implementations and communities, but of course, I work on Bitcoin core and there is no company that, you know, bankrolls all of development or like sets the vision or, you know, has the project management like agenda for all of Bitcoin core. And, you know, you could say that, okay, without a profit model, this might not be as sustainable, but you know, this is what we believe in. Um, And, What I really appreciate is, in this case, it's not only open source, but everyone in Bitcoin Core just does whatever they want. And what that means is they're doing what they believe makes Bitcoin Core better. And they're all aligned on this same um, ideological, I don't want to speak for everyone, of course, but the bottom line is, does this make Bitcoin Core better? And it's not does this help me get my paycheck or does this help me increase the number of commits that I have in Bitcoin core? Does, is this like, does this help me look better on my performance review or make my boss happy or want to promote me? Um, whereas those are often the motivations in a company in any company where you're like working for, you know, a boss who, you know, may, it was in charge of, you know, your salary. Um, and so for example, like one of the first, comments that I got on one of my PRs was, oh Gloria, like in your commit messages, it would be better for you to explain why you're making this change instead of like what you're doing. Um, So, you know, what I'm used to is, okay, boss told me that I need to fix this bug or make this feature. So I've never had to explain why and I've never had someone say no to one of my like pieces of code, right? And so this was a very new exercise for me. But now it's like, again, again, going back to that why piece, it's like now that I always know why I'm doing something, it's like life is so clear. You know, there's like this North Star that I'm following. Um, and it makes, it, I think it makes me a better engineer as well, like, you know, from a personal, individual, like career standpoint. Getting used to defending my ideas and explaining why I'm doing something makes me happier, obviously, but also like just makes me more, more productive and like think more critically about what I'm trying
0: to do. Yeah, it's cool to have a common vision and also, as you say, a North Star in your life because it makes life so much easier. If you know where and what your goal is, you can answer so many questions that might be distracting you otherwise. So many decisions you have to make, you can answer them with a clear yes or no. I think that is so important. And also for me, I found Bitcoin very much later than you did (laughs) because it didn't exist when I was 20. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't even have the Internet. But I found that too, the North Star in Bitcoin, or you can also call it the Ikigai, which is a Japanese thing for you found something that you really embrace. And as you say, you wake up in the morning and you know what you want to do and what you are there for, what the purpose in life is for you. Yeah. It sounds cheesy, but it's like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. For most of my life, I felt like I was on this like hamster wheel, you know, of like, oh, get this score, take this test, join this club, you know, get this internship, get this job, do this interview. Um, and I don't think I ever got anywhere. And I don't think the world became better from me like taking standardized tests, <laughs> you know, but now I feel like I'm moving, which is a completely different feeling.
0: Have you felt a little bit like an outsider or outlier in the college?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's... Like I said, like my my friends would be like, why are you still in blockchain? Like that's, you know, it doesn't have the best reputation, and you often get labeled for something that you know you don't align with. But that applies to all of life, I think. Um, and you know, I've had friends like unfollow me on Twitter because they're like, oh, you're like a crypto spam account, <laughs> and I'm like okay, sorry, (laughs) Um, you know, follow me on Instagram or something, Um, but you know, it's okay. And when I first started talking about working on Bitcoin Core full-time and I like canceled my Facebook internship so that I could spend more time on Bitcoin, my parents like kind of stormed into my room and they were like, Gloria, you're, you're talking nonsense. And they like staged this kind of intervention basically where they were like, you know, Gloria, like if you have all of these bitcoin things, you know, my parents are Chinese and, you know, obviously the reputation in China is not super great either. Um, you know, Gloria, we just we want you to be happy. And if you have all this like bitcoin blockchain stuff on your resume, most companies will not want to hire you. And then I I looked at my dad, and I was like, dad, like, I won't be happy working for most companies. And then he was like, huh? Yeah. And you know, like my, my parents, you know, they made a lot of sacrifices because they were born in China to come to the U S and a lot of what they had to do was make sure that they got the right credential. Um, or, you know, the, in China, a lot of your life is kind of determined by the test scores that you get when you're young. So for them, their North star was, if I don't work this hard, I will be stuck in a communist country for the rest of my life. And so they made a lot of sacrifices to get to a place where they would have more opportunities. And I was like, you know, dad, like, because you covered this part of the journey of getting out of a communist country, I get to cover the next part of the journey, which is fighting for sovereignty and privacy. Because if I were born in China, like we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like, I don't know if I would ever really learn about Bitcoin beyond, you know, knowing about the name or the price or something. Um, But Yeah, it is, it is tough. I think there's a lot of social pressure to like get back in line, you know, like, you know, when I started, when I like didn't quit blockchain as soon as crypto winter hit, like people were really surprised. Um, But now, now that I'm kind of, you know, my friends call me like a Bitcoin maximalist and, you know, they think it's like entertaining or funny when I like talk about it. Um, Now I just don't care. I'm like, eh, you know, like whatever. So they just think I'm the lost cause and they don't try to push me back (laughs) into like where I'm supposed to be or whatever anymore. So,
0: but great that your parents let you do it and did not intervene anymore. Or do they still say you shouldn't do it?
1: I think they're coming around. I think me talking about why I'm so happy and that, you know, this is the next step of their journey, which gave me a really huge leg up, um, allowing me to pursue these different things. I think they understand that. Um, and. No, they just want me to be happy, and you know, I figured out what makes me happy, and hopefully they understand
0: <laughs> That's great that they say it's important that you're happy. Not everybody has parents like that. Yeah. My goal is to educate as many people as possible about Bitcoin. If you like what I do, please contribute and support my work with a monthly subscription. You will get bonus content, early access, and ad-free podcast episodes. If you prefer, you can also donate Bitcoin or Lightning. Visit anita.link forward slash p for more information. If you can't afford or have other priorities, I understand. You can also support the show. For instance, write a recommendation on Apple Podcasts. You can do that even if you do not have an iPhone. Go to Apple Podcasts, search for Anita Posh, scroll down to reviews, click on write a review and write a few words. That's it. Thank you. So your parents came from China. Is this maybe also a reason why you have a very strong opinion about privacy in the digital space in general, and especially in Bitcoin and in financial transactions?
1: Yeah, well, so right now, China is rolling out that digital yuan, right? And I have a lot of relatives that still live in China, and they make the vast majority of their payments through WeChat. Uh, they're also installing, you know, facial recognition and all that social credit store, score stuff. And that terrifies me because imagine being born today and every single transaction you've ever made, everywhere you've been for every single minute of your life, the government has a record of that. Like, how do you, where do you go from there? You know, like that's an incredible, that allows the government to have an incredible amount of control over you and like it's hard to reverse something like that but also like the world that we live in um on the internet for example is almost like very similar but maybe not in like the governmental control surveillance kind of sense but in the sense of like facebook has a very detailed history of all of our pictures of our friends Um, and who we talk to, even the messages that we send between our friends for like half of our lives or like, I can't remember when it was founded, but I deleted my Facebook recently and I just, I, you know, downloaded the file and I was like, oh my God, like this is a lot of information about me. And for as long as you've had a Google account and maybe a Google device, like you can see a history of like where your geolocation was in like 2009, for example, and that is really really scary. And then same thing with Amazon, right? They know exactly what you want to buy. Uh, your trans- like a good representation of you know your transaction history. And now a lot of people have like Alexas in their house. So they get like a heads up when you're like talking to your friends about like, Oh, I kind of want to buy this thing. And then they would know exactly an email to send to you um, to recommend, ah, you should buy this on Amazon, you know? Um, And that's all fine and dandy when you're able to say like, Hey, I want to switch this off or like, I want a private setting. I'm going to go in on incognito mode, for example. Um, But like, it's not an option. It's like, you don't like, by default, everything is surveilled instead of by default, everything is private. Like, I think that should be the case. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's really scary to me and you can't like unsee that, you know, like one time I think (laughs) one time it's like, I'm on Instagram, right? I get all these ads for like makeup and, you know, girly things because they can tell that I'm female. But then I was, you know, scrolling through Instagram with my friend, for example, and, you know, we get both in makeup and then we realize that we're getting marketed different underwear brands based on our bra size. And that's so uncomfortable. Like Instagram knows my bra size. That's like ridiculous. Right. And so like once you've kind of realized that it's really hard <laughs> to be like, oh, you know, I'm fine with this, you know.
0: Yeah, and even more. I mean think of the fact that there are all these menstruation apps out there that record your period. Yeah. So Facebook and Instagram might also know when you have your period. I mean that's wow. Uh,
1: yeah, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, completely. I agree with you. It should be the default that they don't collect data. And if we want them to know something and to collect something about us, to send us better recommendations or anything, then we should be able to allow that and not the other way around. And I'm also really sick of this push marketing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested in things. I will research it. And then if I ask them for information, then it's okay but not this complete surveillance. And if we think about the financial system that is checking every and each transaction that is going on around the world, people are sitting there and filtering transactions and deciding if this is a valid or a a good transaction or a bad transaction. And combining these data sets with a social credit system like in China, that's really frightening. Yeah. And I really do not know why people do not care. Most people just do not care.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of times people are like, oh, yeah, so what? You know, like there's this meme that I really, really hate that's like, haha, the FBI agent assigned to like watch me through my webcam must be so disappointed that all I do is watch Netflix all day. And I really, really hate that meme because one, there is not someone watching you, not because you're not being surveilled, but because they don't need human eyes. That's so co- That's so not cost effective. A machine can watch everyone at the same time and pull up your entire history like, and make a decision about how to control you like that, right? And I think people also don't understand the implications of someone having all this information about you. I mean, like when I say privacy is a human right, right? That is sometimes kind of controversial when I'm talking to my friends who are involved in other political movements as well. And I say, well, yeah, but it's not as important as, you know, the freedom of speech or the freedom to not get shot down by police for whatever reason. And I hope that I don't say something dangerous here, but My TLDR is not that it's more important or that there is any hierarchy of human rights, of course, but that you can't have any of them without the others. So, for example, like in the most extreme case, if you're Edward Snowden or Julian Assange or a whistleblower in a totalitarian regime, you're only like you have to use technologies like Tor and Bitcoin and WikiLeaks to, you know, you know, have a voice. Um, and so in that case, privacy is directly linked to um, freedom of speech. But even if you aren't someone who exercises their freedom of speech in this way, you want to exercise your freedom to hear other speech without being uh, like silenced by the government. And so financial censorship is Really real. Like at some point, WikiLeaks was there, all of their bank accounts were being frozen, right? And so one of the only ways to donate would be Bitcoin, right? And like even today, I think, at least in America, like it's becoming more common to like participate in protests. But no matter what side of the political spectrum you are or what issue that you're protesting for, Like the advice is to not take pictures, to not let someone take a picture of you because getting docs can get can have really real terrible consequences for you in real life. Right. Um, So that part of being anonymous, but still being a part of this movement is important to a lot of everyday people as well. Um, And this is regardless of what your political opinions are. Right. Um, And then, you know, I, I say this to people and then they'll be like, oh, but, you know, I'm a good citizen. You know, I don't I don't. I don't have anything controversial to say. I don't have anything to hide. Um, Well, like being a good citizen, like this quote unquote good citizen term is defined by your government or whoever is in charge. And the more information they have about you, such as maybe every single transaction that you've ever made or everything you've ever said to someone on the Internet, Um, Like the more information they have about you, the more they're able to control you and restrict that definition of what a good citizen is.
0: Very well said. (laughs) I couldn't say it better. You never know, I mean, as you say, governments change. We in Austria, we have a dark history. I can very well remember the stories that my grandparents told me about the Nazis when they came into power here in 1938, and how their Jewish friend warned them to not come into her shop again, because otherwise the Nazis might be sent them to prison or something like that. So these situations change so fast. And I can remember my grandmother also told me the story about how they were listening to BBC radio about uh, how the war is is going on and what is happening outside of Austria and Germany, but it was not allowed. It was actually illegal to listen to BBC radio. And if their neighbors or somebody else would have doxed them, they Mm. would have gone to prison or into a concentration camp or something like that. These are situations I heard that and I learned that as a child and I will never forget that. And so privacy is very important to me. And to be honest, I also learned a lot about that when I got into Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, yeah, same. I don't think I would have like noticed these things if I, you know, hadn't gotten into Bitcoin. Because like for example, in in college, going back to that question of what it's what it's like to be in college, the holy grail for a lot of people is to work on ads. At Google or Facebook, and that sounds insane to us. Is like, oh, you want to build your own cages, um, but you know, like the idea is like, oh, th- this is like machine learning. It's data science, and data science is all about the data. And Google and Facebook have the best data. Um, and so, if you are interested in kind of very technical, interesting topics like machine learning. Um, like, that is the holy grail, and that makes sense. Um, but I often talk to them, and I'm like, wait, but like, you're a computer science student. You're not non technical. Like, y- you know how these things work. But like, how are you still okay with this? And then they're like, oh, I have not thought about this before. And then they say, like, oh, but this is just the way things are. And they often think that privacy is too hard. Like, oh, I have to trade off, like, I I won't be able to have a social media account. I won't be able to talk to my friends or like, I will, not I'll have to live off the grid. I won't be able to use like credit cards, for example, but you know, that's not the case. And I'll be like, well, in Bitcoin, privacy is the default. You know, like let's download Keybase or Signal or something and let's talk using an encrypted chat app. It's pretty much the same user experience. And then they're like, Oh, I didn't know that this was an option. I'm like, Yeah, because by default, there's no privacy.
0: Yeah, exactly. And now let's get back a little bit to the question. What got you into becoming a Bitcoin core developer? How did this work out?
1: I have been studying computer science for a while. So I think I did have a good foundation, but I didn't, I didn't know that you could work on Bitcoin core until like very recently. Um, so last year, I was kind of feeling really disenchanted with blockchain uh, and Bitcoin in general, you know. So I was kind of, I was kind of thinking of just, you know, taking the Google job or the Facebook job, you know. And yeah, I was lost. I was, I didn't know what I wanted to do or why I wanted to do anything. And I got an email from Adam Jonas at Chaincode, and he said, "Hey Gloria." Like you applied to the chain code residency last year. Um, we'd like to see you apply again. And I was like, you know, I'm not really sure. Like I I don't really know why I'm in blockchain anymore. You know, like I've been disappointed over and over again by all these blockchain projects. Uh, like every year is supposed to be the year where we move away from proof of concepts and like actually deliver on the products that all those ICOs like promise to build. And it just never happens. So I was like, you know, I, I don't really know Jonas and I'm, I'm not that interested. And he says, okay, okay. Um, if you're going to be at the Stanford blockchain conference, would you be interested in meeting a couple Bitcoiners? And I was like, Oh yeah, of course. Like, hell yes. You know, like I think in my mind I was imagining like, you know, a stereotypical Bitcoin maximalist. So I thought it would at least be like an interesting conversation where I would get to like, I don't know, like, argue with them or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I met John Newberry and Amidi, Amidi Uttarwar at the Stanford Blockchain Conference. And they're like, oh, yeah, we work on Bitcoin Core. I'm like, you can do that? B- what? Like, because Bitcoin has always been this, like, magical thing, even as a computer science student who's, like, looked at code a lot. Like, I I didn't know, like, it didn't occur to me That Bitcoin is code, you know? I mean, obviously, you know that, but like it it was kind of this abstracted, like magical thing. Um, And so, you know, that uh, talking to them kind of gave me hope because it was the first time I was at a blockchain conference where these were clearly two very technical people. They knew what they were talking about, and yet they believed in Bitcoin. And I had never actually encountered people like that before. And so it was a really different experience for me. And the media said, like, you know, you're a computer science student, like Bitcoin is code, like you can, you can download the repo and like, look at it. And, you know, like, the barrier there is not a technological one. It's a psychological one, where I was like, okay, I don't think I can, but I'll try. And so my journey into Bitcoin Core, a lot of it was like reviewing PRs, uh, joining the PR re- review club, um, talking about uh, code with Amiti. Like she, we, we'd have like a, uh, a shared session where we could look at code together. And she kind of gave me like a guided tour of like a certain piece of the code. Uh, and in a way, like reviewing PRs is also kind of like that. It's like a guided tour through like some functionality of Bitcoin Core. And more and more, I started to realize like, All of those things that I learned in class, you know, file systems and operating systems and like very primitive, like how does how do these computers work? How do you control synchronization? Like cryptography even. Like I had learned a lot of math to understand cryptography, but like I had never understood why I was learning all of these concepts other than, oh, I need to do something hard and get a good grade so that I can look smart on my resume right? But all of these concepts were like coming together in a really beautiful way that like is designed for a social goal that I personally really care about. And so it was like all of it kind of like perfectly lined up in my head where I was like, this is where I want to be. Like all of... Like, I mean, this sounds really cheesy, but it's like, my whole life has led up to this. Like, it must be destiny. Like, it's like falling in love, you know? And I, yeah, I fell in love with Bitcoin. That's, that's what happened essentially. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't look back anymore. You know, this is what I want to do.
0: Yeah, I completely understand that. I also fell in love with Bitcoin. Are you doing the developing or the coding work on the site? Because as far as I understand, you are graduating at the end of 2020.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, over the summer, it was like my side gig. So um, you asked me earlier if I was an early riser. And it's kind of a habit I picked up over the summer because I wanted a good chunk of time to work on Bitcoin stuff every day, but I wanted it to be when I had the most energy in the morning. Um, but you know, work starts at like nine. So I would get up at like four or 5 a.m. and like do Bitcoin. And then now, because I have that habit, um, it's just like, I do schoolwork kind of like as a side thought, but my main thing, because I it's it's, it's everything that I wanna do and everything else feels like a giant waste of time. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: What are you planning after graduating? how can you be paid for Bitcoin core development? Is there a way? How will this play out? I
1: know of some Bitcoin core developers who are funded for their work. Either they work for a company or they have grants. Um, I haven't personally thought about the money that much. Or, um, but you know, I, I just know that I want to work on Bitcoin after I graduate. So whatever that takes, I'll, I'll figure out. How to do that.
0: And do you maybe have a message for people and other women who want to come into the Bitcoin development space? Any hints? uh, How can they start?
1: Yeah, my first thing would be to not assume that you can't do something until you've tried to do it and failed. I think the barrier is often most significantly a psychological one. Um, might be confidence, might be imposter syndrome. And for me, at least it's a very significant barrier or obstacle. And so addressing that in a tangible way is often a key part of succeeding is if you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, you know, I feel a certain way that's kind of preventing me from, you know, doing what I want to do, figuring out ways to tackle that. For example, Amini taught me about meditation. Sometimes I just do something scary, like go skateboard. And that helps eliminate the fear of commenting on a PR, (laughs) right? Um, But maybe in a more like context kind of pieces of advice, there's a lot of onboarding like ramps into Bitcoin core development, like the good first issues, like just reaching out to someone on Twitter or IRC, or whoever, I personally would love to see more women or more people in general. Um, and then there's the PR review clubs, you know, all kinds of ways to get started. You know, if you're before that, then okay, reading, mastering Bitcoin, subscribing to the Optech newsletter, um, you know, and brushing up on those like technical things. In either way, there is, a ramp to get started, to to go from wherever you are to contributing to Bitcoin Core.
0: Mm-hmm. I think an interesting thing about learning about Bitcoin is it doesn't follow a strict curriculum in that way. So you are um, approaching Bitcoin from different perspectives and You really, yeah, like many people say, you fall into this rabbit hole and then you are digging deeper on the one aspect and then on the next, on the technology, on the economic side, on the mathematical side, on the the code side and something like that. And then you learn more and more about it. But it's not like linear learning and it's not like in school.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's so many different paths um, to Bitcoin. Mine is probably very different from yours and the next person's, um, but for me, one thing that kind of caused me to get lost is—and I sound like a broken record now—is just not knowing what the purpose is. So, like, there's millions of blockchain projects, DeFi projects, you know, Ethereum DApps that exist. There's so many things that are commanding attention. And they all look shiny and interesting and cool, and they're—I'm sure a lot of them are—but finding focus is really difficult. And for me, it was the why piece, right? So if you know you're not sure why you're getting into Bitcoin, it's like okay, go read 1984 or watch some Black Mirror. Or for me, like my favorite movie is Fight Club because it makes me angry at the world and like want to do something about it. Um, and then. Once you've answered that question, then you're ready for, you know, whatever it takes to tackle those issues that you care about, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it helps if people look at their own personal values. Yeah. To know themselves better and what their real interests are. And I think then you'll find out if you're interested in the basic philosophy behind Bitcoin or not, yeah? So do you have any recommendations for our listeners to get to know more about Bitcoin books, websites, videos, or maybe things for developers?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so for the why piece, I did mention like more personal ones, but I I do think everyone should read and or memorize the Cypherpunk manifesto <laughs> Manifesto, um, like Sovereign Individual, Permanent Record. These are all like good... Um, ideological pieces that help set the tone. But content wise, again, I like mastering Bitcoin. We used to have this textbook. Uh, it's, it's We called it the Princeton textbook. It was it was like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies technologies or something like that. Um, that was a really good technical introduction. Um, Chaincode has a GitHub page with curriculum. Um, and they also have a study groups Repository that has a lot of really focused material that I don't think I would have found if I just like Googled terms. Um, so I would recommend the Chain Code Labs GitHub. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that would be a good list to start.
0: Okay, great, great. I will put all of this into the show notes for this episode. We're coming to an end soon. My closing questions. First one is, what do most people overlook when they talk about Bitcoin or what is missing in the public discourse about Bitcoin?
1: I think there's a lot of people who are interested in Bitcoin and you know which, whichever reason that you're interested is fine or how you contribute is fine. But I think a lot of times the language that is used is kind of convert your U.S. dollars or whatever fiat currency to Bitcoin now so that you can convert it back to more U.S. dollars or currency later. And I think that's really missing the point. Um, We want Bitcoin so that we can use it, not so that we can, you know, like sell it for more fiat. You know, like we're we want this option like Bitcoin is better. Maybe not in all ways right now, but in some ways, depending on what your bottom line is. And I think it's time for everyone to have a more socially driven bottom line. Especially if you talk it about if you talk about it a lot, then we can't keep measuring technologies or you know applications based on how convenient they are or how cheap they are. We need to start thinking about how
0: private they are, right? Um, yeah, I completely agree. Hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And that they enable an uncensorable payment worldwide because there are many people who do not have the possibility to do so. It's something that we very often overlook and take for granted in our Western hemisphere, in our developed world. Yeah. Because we have all those things. We have Apple Pay, we have Venmo, we have PayPal. But billions of people don't have that and they don't even have a bank. So, yeah. Yeah. So second question, if I would buy you an ad on all social media platforms and you could decide on the message that we are showing to the whole world, what would it say? What do you want people to know?
1: I would say privacy and censorship resistance should be the default and can
0: be the default. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Gloria. That was a great conversation for me. I hope for you too. And I find it really, really impressive. You're so clever at such a young age. When I was 21, I think I was not that clever. <laughs> and, th- and I think even now I'm not that clever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky. Please tell us, where can people find you and follow your work?
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter, out Glozow, G-L-O-Z-O-W. And my GitHub is also called the same thing. So that's where
0: you can find me. Okay, great. Thank you very much and have a good day. Bye, Gloria. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. That's it for today. If you like my show, please share it with your friends and hit the subscribe button in your podcast player now. Thanks to my sponsors who make it possible that I can produce the show localbitcoins.com, Shift Crypto with the Bitbox O2, and Coinfinity with their card wallet. Music. Start with yes, delicate beats. Idea, content and production, yours truly, Anita Posch.